Um, so I, I've got like rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so uh, every morning um, I wake up in pain every morning. Yeah. So basically, you know, every day, five o'clock in the morning or earlier, yeah. I have to get up because of the pain. Uh, do you have any advice on, like, when you're, if you're dealing with physical pain, yeah. right, uh, how, you know, how you can meditate or use uh, practices to, to get your mind in a way that also when you're dealing with physical pain mm. that you can somehow, you know, see it as a, as a, as something to get away from. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I sympathize. I have, I have arthritis in my shoulder also, and I, I have somewhat similar um, challenges. But um, the the first thing is is that um, in meditation we we can learn to 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 see how what we call physical pain is actually um, also um, involved uh, involves the mental reaction to the to the physical pain. So we tend to think it's just one thing, but when we have physical pain and chronic physical pain and there's there's you just i don't want this uh i don't want it to buy me uh anxiety about the future you know if it is it going to get worse and how, where's this all leading to and and doubt and about what's the best way to treat it so all those uh that sort of ball of mental reaction to it um, becomes is so instinctual that it becomes seems to be just one and the same thing, and we call it physical pain. But through through mindfulness, uh, practice, and and meditation, you can learn to separate these, and and that's an incredible relief to see that actually the worst part of it is something that you're adding onto it, and you don't have to do that, and that the physical part is is sometimes is is actually not so bad. Um, it's, you know, it's not one, oh, here it is again, you know, and this, this oh, you know, that sense of depression and uh, I've got to deal with this again, another day, another round of pain, that kind of, that kind of thought. But that's what, that's what you can deal with. That, that's the practice there. Um, talking about, like, pract Dhamma practice, or I've been talking about this education system, Rather than than confining specifically to 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 meditation technique or meditation techniques, then I, I'm I'm I like to look at it in terms of what we call the four right efforts. So let's say in regard to waking up with pain, you know the first um, the first thing is how can I prevent all these. Um, negative mental states from arising when I feel physical pain or if they do arise how can I let go of them what what, what can is there a silver lining here is there some you know are there some good qualities that I can develop through through dealing with this and can I feel a sense of, of growth in Dhamma through this particular challenge couple of like practical um, 
practical advice is that um, your mind can only either be in a positive or a negative, a wholesome or an unwholesome state. You can't have positive and negative elements in your mind at the same time. This is like basic Buddhist psychology. So one very useful technique is simple replacement. So if you're, if you're experiencing a lot of negative um, reaction to, to pain, then you cultivate positive, like loving kindness. So wherever it is that you have this, the rheumatoid arthritis, just develop, just sending these thoughts of love and acceptance and just sort of caressing, yeah, you're okay, don't you? like you would with a baby, you know, don't worry, everything's going to be all right. And just, just be, be kind to it. But in, and, cult, and promoting, cultivating that very kind, accepting thought replaces all the negative energy. If you want a more kind of wisdom practice, then look at the, the area of pain and investigate it, like scientifically. And there's like three, three good um, topics. One is the location of the pain, because, oh, I've got a pain here, and I've got pain there. But when you look at it very closely, it's actually just moving around. It's not stable. So here you're, you're having an insight into impermanence. And secondly, the, the characteristic of the pain. You know, there's, there's different kinds of pain, the shooting pains and pressing pains and so on. And again, when you look at it more closely, it's not stable. There, there is a change, shift, uh, impermanence. And then the, the intensity of the pain, you know, like from one to ten, it's, it comes in waves, it's not stable. So there again, here you're replacing the negative, I don't want this uh, kind of reaction with this interest and curiosity and, and look, yeah, this is a manifestation of the three characteristics of anichang, dukkang, anatta. This is, this is my meditation object. This isn't my cross to bear. This is my path to, to liberation. You know, it's something I can really learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was just wondering, if you're not based near a Sangha, do you have any advice for somebody who is um, getting to know Buddhism, been meditating for a while, but just simply doesn't have anyone else around? Um, I might be a bit vague, that question, but, I, you know. Um, well, in, there are a lot of sort of interesting developments over the past couple of years um, due to COVID. And there, I know a lot of groups now, Dhamma groups, who just come together in the morning and evening uh, on Zoom and meditate together, sometimes chant together or listen to a Dhamma talk together. And so, you know, we're very fortunate right now that you may be living alone or isolated or you're not so in into joining things, you like, you like your independence, but you can, you have the best of both worlds if you can find some like-minded people and, and, and have an online group. So, yeah, that's one of our, um, you know, uh, perks of the modern age. We can do that. 
Hi, um, I just came back from what uh, uh, practice at Wat Pananashat, and oh, I just I saw Jan Kewali, and he told me to 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 come here. It says this is my first time at okay. Amrati Monastery. Okay. Did you um, have a good stay? Yes, I had a very good stay in nine days, um, yeah. and yeah, it was um, a life-changing experience for me. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> um, my question is: um, You talk about tukka, and um, one of the four noble truth. Uh, I think the last one was ubeka or equanimity. I, I would like to know how can we apply apply that in you know daily life uh, when we are aware that tukka arise, you know, um, in a simple yeah. term, please. Yeah, actually, um, ubeka is is the fourth of a different group, which is called the brahmaviharas. So these are like the, the the positive emotions to be cultivated of loving kindness and compassion. And sympathetic joy, and then upeka. So upeka, or most of these groups of dhammas, almost all of them, have a wisdom representative somewhere in the group. They're not always called wisdom or panya. In this particular group, upeka is the wisdom member. So with with loving kindness and compassion, particularly. You mean you have a really wholesome wish to help others, be kind, um, relieve suffering, but it doesn't always work out for one reason or another. Maybe that person's quite happy to be the way they are. They don't see the problem that you see. Um, they don't trust you. Um, you don't have the communication skills. You don't. They have bad friends who turn them against the. Wise counsel. So many things can come and prevent um, kind people from helping others. So, if you're if you're really well intentioned and you want to help somebody uh, be happy or be free of suffering, and there are obstacles, where where does your mind dwell? You know, if it's very easy to fall into discouragement and 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 uh, depression and frustration, but the Buddha says you shift to ubeka. Is this the equanimity? And equanimity is that evenness of mind, where you recognize that, like ripeness is everything. Everything has a time and a place, and and whether it's old comer, newcomer, it's just not now the time where you can do anything. So you rest in that. In that evenness of mind and acceptance, well, this is the way things are right now, with all the causes and conditions that are coming into play. But it's not say, okay, I've done my best. That's it. Didn't work out. Forget it. It's to say, yeah, I'm ready. If things have changed um, and I can do something, I will. But right now, I'm, you know, I'm not going to suffer about it because I wasn't able to 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 fulfill this wholesome wish. So uh, you dwell in the upeka, it's like the neutral gear, and then if there's something changes, then you move into you know a new gear and and do something more active and and uh, helpful. Okay, I'll, I'll come over to you next.
Hello. Hello, Bante. Um, what should I do when I want to run away? Um, I have some time coming up where I want to take, I want to undertake some more intensive meditation, but whenever I go on retreat, I often want to, to run away. Um, and I'm, I'm fearful of this. Thank you. Yeah, if you've got a really good friend who you trust um, and um, kind friend, tell them to tie you up. <laughs> Lock the door. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you, I mean, it's just, you don't have the, the strength by yourself, but it's all right. I mean, that's completely normal. You just, you really need to depend on people that you, you trust, have integrity, have your best wishes at heart and say, don't listen to me, just make sure I stay here, you know. And, and so you need a network, you need good friends. And so like Theravada Buddhism in some ways is the ultimately religion of self-reliance, you know. You know, you're born alone, you get old alone, you die alone, you, you've got to sort this out, nobody can do it for you. So there's that whole side of, uh, side of the teachings. And the other side is this emphasis on friendship and good friendship. And the Buddha says it's the whole of the holy life. And, um, and it's tough, you know, when you have these really strong tendencies. I, I, I've, um, there was one um, American man who came to to our monastery he was already in his his 40s when he came and he and he he was he was just so dedicated and so you know on it for and then um six months in he just just like that he said i'm leaving you know everybody thought you know he was like you know one of the, he's going to be one of the stalwarts of the monastery for years to come um and he left and then some years later, I found he'd done this. He went on to do exactly the same thing in two or three other branch monasteries. He, he, he arrived, he just fitted in so well. He was so humble, so dedicated. Everybody loved him. Six months in, and that was it. He's leaving. And I don't know how many times he'd done that before, but once you get to that age, you're like 40, you know, it's just such a strong karmic pattern that it becomes really difficult i mean you're young you can still do it but i think you really need to um, look at finding ways of asking friends to to help you and and to just we just push through that you know that's all it is you, you create once you've done it once you see then you have that memory in your mind if you've never done it at all there's always that doubt i can't do this it's too much for me but you only need to do it once and they said, well, if you do it once, you can do it twice. If you can do it twice, you can do it three times. It, it's nothing more kind of mystical and esoteric than that. It's just creating a new habit and then cultivating that new habit until it, it, it eventually um, wipes out the old habit. So, yeah, it's doable for sure. Yes, and... Sorry, there's someone over here. Come down. Hello. 
Ajahn. Um, yeah, was this a question about uh, attachment? Um, I think Buddhism teaches that we shouldn't become too attached to anything because it has impermanence in it. Uh, and if we become a, too attached to it and we lose it, then we're going to suffer. That's my rudimentary understanding. So I just wanted to ask if there are any good attachments. <laughs> Yeah, I have a lot of time for Velcro, actually. That's very good. Um, but um, I, I think it's more like, like say, in, in family life, um, you voluntarily take on some attachments. Um, there's no way, as a father, you're not going to be attached to your, your daughter. And uh, uh, But the Buddha is saying, recognize that this is... Fertile. I'm sure you've had your share of uh, suffering as well in, in bringing up a child, and you will in the future, because that's part of it. But you say, on the balance, I'm, I'm up for this. It's okay. Um, that there will always be in, in relations with people you love, the fear and the anxiety, and that just, that's part of it, isn't it? And that's something that you, you take on as, as a, um, a household or as a father or as a husband. But... Nevertheless, the, the intensity of the, the suffering um, is not a fixed thing. And the Buddha recommends that we, we meditate and we reflect. We do a certain chants. So we do, one we did this morning that you, you probably wouldn't um, know the Thai. It was like, we are, I am of the nature to age. I've not gone beyond aging. I have the nature to sicken. I've not gone beyond sickness. I'm the nature to die. I've not gone beyond death. I am going one day. I'm going to be separated from everything and everyone I love. So you chant this every day, you know, just so it becomes just part of your 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 understanding of life. Yeah, it's it's wonderful that we we have this life together, but it's going to come to an end um, sometime. You know, uh, one of us is going to die, and the second one, the third one. Um, we don't know who's going to come first. Probably, probably you, because you're older. But we don't know. It's a, so, is you know this sense of opening yourself up to those things. Oh, don't think about that. It's morbid. You know, that's the kind of way you, you hear. And you say, Buddhist says, no. You need to think about these things. And rather than being depressing, it actually makes you see the value. Yeah, we don't know how much longer we're going to have to to live with each other. And when I when I was um, this is a story when when I was a teenager, you know, I had a sort of stormy time with my parents, particularly about the length of my hair. Yes, yeah, kind of ironic now. But, um, <laughs> and um, when and and after I so then I became a monk, and I was in Thailand for six years. I came back for the first time. And my parents drove down to Chithurst and picked me up to take me home. Um, and we're in, the, we're in the car, and I had this same thought. You know, when I, when I think about all the times, that, you know, difficult times in my teens uh, because of the length of my hair, and here I am with a shaved head. And, and my mother said, at that moment, she said the same thing. You know, you, know, you were with us for like... Uh, 17 or 18 years, I never thought that the time we would spend together would be that short. And now you're living on the other side of the world. And if I could go back, you know, some people say, I wouldn't change anything. My mum would change something. She said, if I, 
If I could go back, I would never have made so much fuss about the length of your hair. <laughs> and I'm thinking at the same time, well, if I'd known I was going to become a monk, I wouldn't have made such a big fuss of it. <laughs> but, you know, this is the wisdom of hindsight, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's... it's but, but with Dhamma, you can see, yeah, this is precious time we have together. Um, and to, to recognize that everything's uncertain, everything's unsure, so let's, let's not argue about stupid, petty things, let's not make a mountain out of molehills, and let's um, enjoy the time together, because it, it's, it's limited. And, and, and recognizing that, that there will be changes, and that you'll move apart, and it won't always be what you want, and... But you see, yeah, this is the nature of, of, of life, the nature of change, that things are always changing. And in meditation, again, coming back to this, this point of what you learn from meditation, is you be, as, you, as you calm down, you begin to see things arising, passing away in your mind, a thought, an emotion, a memory, and it, it rises and it passes away. And every time it passes away, that's a separation. And so you're experiencing separation and cessation many, many times in a day. But you don't think, you know, every time you, you, you walk out the house, there's a separation. But re reflecting on that and seeing how separation is part and parcel of our life, then that and how little control you have over things, which you see again in, like, we, you know, think about thinking, you know, as we identify with thinking a lot. But can you, can you predict what you'll be thinking about in five minutes' time? Or one minute? Or ten seconds? Or even one second? You can't predict even one second beforehand, for sure, what you'll be thinking about. So that there's, there's, where is the control there, you know? And how neurotically we strive to control things. So it's in that kind of area in, 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 in the lay life, you know, that we can really work with attachment, you know, with that strong, I, it's got to be like this, it can't be any other way, I can only be happy if it's like this, and letting that go. But there will always be a certain level of attachment, because that's, that's just like, I, I call it love tax, you know, you love somebody, there's a tax to pay, but, you know, you're willing to pay the tax, um, but it's, that's, that's what it's yeah, about. Yeah, I paid a few taxes in my time. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello. Um, my question is, um, how should I introduce my parents to the practice? I mean, I was born into a different religion, but um, I was quite grateful to my, uh, my parents that they never stopped me from following my own path. Uh, but now, now, now they are at an age where they accept me as who I am and what I practice. Uh, but I, now I want to introduce them to the practice. So um, 
I want to take your advice of how should I introduce them to the practice. How to introduce, introduce, introduce them my to parents the practice. Again. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I think that um, really what's, what attracted me and I, I think many other people to maybe yourself as well um, to, to Buddhism is, is the, it, how practical it is. Uh, I mean, I, I felt growing up that, that the Christianity or whatever was telling people you should be like this and you should be like that, but not giving any people really sufficient tools to change. You know, they said, well, I'm not like that. What do I do? And most people just feel guilty because they're not the kind of people they think they should be. Um, so that, that may be unfair to Christian, but that's at least my my take on it. So I think with with um, with parents, you know, of course, you have to respect their own religious tradition, and if they're they're happy with that, then we shouldn't try to you know to 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 convert them to Buddhism. Um, that we don't. That's not the sort of the Buddhist way, but. What we can say is, look, you know, you're 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 a Christian, you're a Muslim, you're a Sikh, you're a whatever, um, but you know, in Buddhism, there's some really um, really good um, uh, techniques and things that that really help um, to be more happy and more calm and more more peaceful. And are you interested in learning some of these kind of techniques? So it's more like. Um, borrowing things from the Buddhist tradition to enhance their own tradition. I think that's that's probably a better way to go. I mean, it may well, it may be they'll say, "Well, you know, I really like this this Buddhism," and and um, but it has to come from them, really. But in terms of, of mindfulness practices and so on, and things that would make a definite improvement in their life we you know with buddhism we don't have a kind of copyright on these things you know so well you know if you can make use of that then 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 go ahead and it's it's a it's an offering of a, of a kindness and without strings attached and, and yeah. yeah hello สวัสดีค่ะพระอาจารย์นมัสการค่ะช่วยช่วยเอาหน้ากากลงได้ไหมฟังไม่ค่อยได้ยินค่ะ I have one worried big tukha um, at the moment about the unwanted war เสียงดังๆหน่อย Yeah, it's about the unwanted war at the moment. I woke up and I said, "Oh, whatever, it's going to be happen another day." Um, as be, being a, a Buddhist, which is peaceful people, I just wonder that for us, for you, for everyone that have any worried about this, and if that. Is there any way that you know we can reduce this tukha by being help or you know? I'm sorry, I can't. I can't hear it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's about the U- U- it's about the Ukraine war. The, the Ukraine war. Yes, which is um, which is is not that far from England. Yeah. Um, we have got a very big talker about this, but as being a Buddhist people, which is peaceful people, I'm just wonder that are you have any worried about this, or we have any worried about this, or if there is, then what can we do to reduce this tukka? Uh, am, I, am I worried about it? Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm concerned because I have a, a student, a young, uh, quite a junior monk, um, who, who went to start a small monastery in Kiev at the end of last year. Oh, and uh, I told him I didn't think it was a good idea, but he was determined he wanted to propagate Buddhism in his home home country. So he was uh, living in Kiev with two other bhikkhus, one from trained in Burma and one trained in Sri Lanka, but all, all Ukrainians, three Ukrainians together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a they did a Marka Puja retreat. And uh, I, I did a Q&A session, you know, it's like about two days or so before the invasion. And um, so they, he, they were caught in, in Kiev and I've been um, speaking with him on the phone every, every day, every two days, well, on WhatsApp. They, they still have coverage there, amazingly. And he, he, he had to leave eventually and he's living in a little shed in the back of a farm in the middle of the countryside near Poland at the moment. So I, I have some concerns for, for him. Um, but this is, this, is, this is the world we live in, isn't it? I mean, there, there are, I mean this, is the, this is a war which has drawn, you know, it, it's a terrible thing and it's, it's, it's drawn a lot of attention and it's on the news every day, but yeah, there, there, there are wars all the time. I mean, I can't think of a time when there hasn't been a war. But if it's in Africa or in Syria or even Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, it, it, it's um, maybe not, doesn't touch people the same way that this, that this war has done. But there, there, there is... My, my question is that how you do, how do you eliminate your feeling of being worried, you see, how... Yeah, okay, that's a bit much better question. I'm sorry if I didn't pick up. Yeah, so what I'm trying to say is there are always things that are uh, encouraged or um, would, would trigger our feelings of anxiety. So the most important thing that, that we're learning is to see anxiety as anxiety. So in anything that in our mind, we can look at it in two ways. We can look at the content or the process. And both things are important. You know, if you're, if you're um, in many cases, you know, you're, you're thinking, you need to be um, thinking without prejudice, without bias, thinking logically and, and so on. This is making sure the content of your thought is good. But the other side, and that's and the side that we, we we're not so good at, is seeing thought and seeing emotion and, and anxiety in the process. 
This anxiety is not with you 24 hours a day. It arises and it passes away. And being able to see that. And also, more practically, to recognize just um, how much anxiety is triggered by just watching too much news. You don't need to watch the news all day. You, well, you can look for five minutes in the morning and get a, if you want, and you can find out all you need to know about what happened in last 24 hours in Ukraine within five minutes. Um, but constantly looking at all the updates and watching it, you know, what is the purpose of that? What is the purpose of keeping up to date hour by hour and what's happening in a war? I don't. I don't see it's a. It's a useful or a valuable thing. I, I certainly feel it's. You should be informed. You should know what's going on. But I, I just feel it's way over the top, and it's just um, destructive of of mental health. And it's not. It's not a useful thing. So I would say, um, don't follow the the war so much. That would help with the anxiety. But the other thing is to. Be aware of anxiety as a mental state. There's always something. If it wasn't the Ukraine war, it'd be something else that, you know, that we can worry about. So we really have to understand how the mind works and what feeds this kind of mental state and what uh, reduces it or alleviates it.